The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good evening, my friends. Thank you for listening to the show about money. Hi-Fi Radio, Portfolio Manager Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, my partner. Good evening, Jack. Evening, Wolf. Good to be with you again. Indeed. Uh, well, we got Brad Lamb on the uh, line. Brad, uh, good evening to you, uh, the developer of condos, president, CEO of Lamb Developments and Lamb Realty. Uh, welcome back to the show, Brad. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, very interesting times. Um, I've been thinking a lot about your business as I am uh, renovating a home. And... Uh, you know, the, the, the theme of the reopening uh, is, is one that's dovetailed into an inflationary uh, setup. Uh, extraordinaire, but the bond market isn't re- responding, which is quite interesting. So let's talk about inflation first and foremost. You build buildings. Uh, you sell buildings and units today, and then you build them over the course of 18 months or so into the future. Uh and seeing material prices skyrocket, uh, again, I'm waiting for my cedar shakes to arrive on my home. I had to put down a massive deposit two months ago. They're coming from BC, and it was a matter of get them now or don't get them. And if you do get them, you're going to pay a lot more money. So you must be seeing it yourself as you build units, Brad. Yeah, but so, you know, it's different when you're building a 400 or $300 million building and when you're renovating a house in that, we have to time, uh, you know, we have to time uh, all of the elements of the building. So, you know, when we go for financing, they, they need to see a tight budget. We go for financing a year or eight months before we, we break ground. And it takes us that long to negotiate the loan. And while that's happening, we're also selling apartments in the marketplace. And we're also trying to obtain um, letters of, in, of intent uh, you know, for for card costs, and then we convert those letters of intent into into finalized legal contracts, and we we you know so when that's so when we're doing that uh, specifically with the hard costs, you know, the concrete forming and the brick and whatever else, the the people that are supplying the service are aware of uh, inflationary elements, and they factor that often as best they can into the contracts. Now, obviously, if, if steel prices double, it's a problem. And then, you know, who, who has to wear that problem? It, you know, it does, it does cause us issues. But for instance, we're, we're breaking ground on a project right now and our budget is solid and we don't have any issues. We're not off by a penny. So, but you have to be good at it, right? You have to plan all this um, very carefully and you have, to, you have to have contingencies in place. And we all, all developers have, escalation contingencies in their budget to allow for some changes in uh in supply contracts well you hear of cost overruns in in every project that takes place brad from a small home renovation to a massive industrial uh oil development or road development or 
bridge development, there's always cost overruns. And uh, as a developer, um, that's a risk uh, to your business. I don't think that the consumer really, really appreciates. Yeah, no, it is. It is a risk. And, and so so there's two ways you can build uh, a large scale development. You can go with a fixed price uh, general contractor and they'll say, OK, it's one hundred million dollars to build this. And that's the number. And, and what they do is they, they they build the contingencies in themselves and a nice fat profit. But it's guaranteed. And the only way that you'd go over that is if in some way something happened that you did as a developer or if there was something like an act of God or some flood or something that the general contractor couldn't control. But how I build buildings, and most developers in Toronto build buildings, and most developers around North America do it, is they hire um, a, a uh, construction management company. So the construction management company doesn't, doesn't take any risk. But what they do is they go out and they get fixed price quotes on all of the trades. So... You, all, so all of that is locked in before, or say 80% of it's locked in before you break ground. And the stuff that's not locked in might be the hardwood floor supply, the kitchen supply, maybe your pool installation, you know, 20% the stuff down the road. But the big, big 10 items are locked in, and it's very difficult for a trade to change that unless some act of God or you've done something stupid as a developer, you know, but but it's very, or the, or the, or the, Plans that you've provided for and paid for are faulty and, and cause problems. So we do get overruns. I'll tell you, of all the buildings I've built, I've never built a building on budget. But but we, we've we've rarely gotten creamed. But sometimes we've gotten creamed where we've we've actually made no money. We've made funds in other ways, but we've not made any money on the construction side. But we've gotten better over the years, and, and that hasn't happened any time recently, and I don't see it happening in the future. What about shortages on both labor and materials, Brad, uh, as you develop in the, uh, the urban centers in, in, in Canada? What are you seeing? Yeah, it's a problem. Um, you know, nobody wants to be a construction worker anymore. Um, and uh, they're high-paying jobs, but they're tough jobs. Um, and... Uh, they're not skilled, and the skill that you, you obtain through these jobs is over time. So, you know, for instance, in the forming trade, it's, it, all the formers used to be Portuguese, you know, Portuguese immigrants, and, and uh, I guess the offspring of Portuguese immigrants. And now that, that's faded, and, and you're not seeing that anymore. And it, it, the common thing to say is that the best form workers are in the cemetery. So that's a, <laughs> that's a hard place to get good workers, and it's a huge problem. But if you have good relationships with your trades and you treat them well, you've been doing it for a while, you can protect yourself through the relationships, right? But it's not a guarantee. It, it, there's problems. It is definitely very difficult to develop real estate in Canada. It's not an easy job. There's a lot of places that uh, conspire to beat you. Um, and you have to be very, very diligent and careful and conservative to survive. Without question, though, it, it is a complex uh, uh, game that you're you're participating in. You're involved with government. You're involved with municipalities. Uh, you're involved with the p p political landscape, uh, and, and then the macro uh, economic forces uh, again of supply and demand with raw commodities. Uh, you know, Brad, look, Canada is on fire right now because of the commodity push. Uh, copper prices 
well over four bucks thanks to electric vehicles and thanks to housing being built. Nickel is on the rise. Uh, oil, i.e. energy, is on the uptick. Uh, lumber, <laughs> a top has to be in for lumber prices, Brad. Uh, just, you know, the Instagram posts alone usually should be marking a top $120 a sheet on plywood. Uh, now, I guess in your trade, uh, you don't use as much lumber, do you? No, I mean, we use lumber, you know, we use plywood forms, um, but they get reused. It's not a huge element of high rise. It's a bigger element, obviously, in, in the uh, stick area, the low rise area. The entire marketplace uh, is leading to inflation. I'll give you an idea. I finished a building called um, uh, Harlow in, uh, well, we're still selling the final pieces, about two years ago, okay? And that cost me $185 a square foot to build. And I'm going to be doing a high-rise uh, on King Street, and the number is $400. And we'll be lucky to do it at $400. Now, it's a more complicated tower than the Harlow is. But if I was to build a Harlow today, it would be $350 to $360 a square foot. So construction costs have doubled in two and a half years. And that has to be reflected in the price, right? Of so, course. When you, yeah, when you so, say cost to build, uh, Brad, does that include land or is that just the raw no, construction no, that, cost? That's, that's just – so how that, how that works is that's the gross construction. That's a, that's a construction cost, just a hard cost without contingency. Uh, and that and that is on the gross construction area, but you can't sell that area. That's the gross construction area above grade. So that includes everything you're doing, but you can't sell corridors and elevators. So if you bring it down to a real number, we're up around $500 a square foot is just the cost of construction. And when you throw in land at uh, about $300 a square foot sellable, so you're up around around 800 and then when you throw in your soft costs and your taxes, in Toronto, you're at $1,100 a foot is your cost oh. of delivering housing. That's the cost. Are you kidding? All in $1,100 a square foot. So yeah. you obviously need to make a profit in, with, with all of your efforts and risk that uh, you absorb. Uh, you'd have to sell it, you know, I guess at $1,500 a foot, $1,300, $1,400 oh. a foot. So the margin that generally uh, developers seek is between, they, they seek between 15 and 20. They usually get 13 to 16 on, 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 their, on their costs. So it's not... You know, people think it's an incredibly lucrative business. It can be because the numbers are big, right? So if you're doing a $300 million building uh, and the costs are 200 and you're getting 15 points, you're making $30 million. But you need to invest, you know, $10 million to do that. And you, you're looking at six or seven years to get your money back. So it's not the business people think it is, and it's not the route to riches that people think it is. And, it, and by the way, it's hard to hold on to that 15 to 16% margin. It's very difficult. And, and the problem now is that, you know, we are selling, you need to get 13 or 1400 a square foot in downtown Toronto. That's the number. Consumers are paying it begrudgingly, but they need to understand that it's not going to get any better. There's nothing, you know, every, every trade we talk to tells us that the prices are not going to get any better. They're only going to get worse. 
Mm-hmm. We're talking to Brad Lamb, uh, Lamb Developments, uh, Lamb Realty. Uh, fascinating discussion about inflation, about trades, about building, about housing, uh, really about life. Uh, stay tuned to uh, Hi-Fi Radio, Global News, 640 Toronto. More show right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There you go. Get some spring in your stride this Saturday night. We're talking money. We're talking with Brad Lamb, Lamb Development. Uh, to build condominiums is no simple task. Uh, Brad's been doing it for decades. Um, you, you have guts, Brad, uh, do, engaging in the uh, type of business you engage in. Uh, you know, it's a, as you indicated, it's a long cycle business, which means you know, seven years perhaps to get your money back, money up front. Uh, a lot of risk that the, the project doesn't even get started. Uh, but you have to persevere and have faith and have a process. And uh, I guess, you know, you're, 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 you're a smart enough man that you, you are and have and will continue to have learned from your mistakes that have cost you money along the way. Correct? Yeah, you have to. If you don't, you're not going to be in business. You see, Wolfgang, it's not just, you know, inflation. And every single day, the city of Toronto... And, and the planning department and its politicians conspire to make our job more difficult. <laughs> and so you're fighting with them constantly over, you know, issues where they just add more cost and time and delay and risk. And they, they put at risk the very thing that's needed most in, in the province, in the, in the urban centers, which is more housing. And that's our, you know, listen, all the, all the things that the construction costs, inflation, those are all things that we look at as big problems, but they're nothing compared to the problems we face with councillors and planners, uh, you know, and mayors um, that dream up, you know, these anti-development concepts constantly that we fight all the time. It costs millions of dollars a year to, to fight their programs and their ideas uh, and it's, it's, that's the most terrifying thing is some idiot is going to bring in some stupid requirement that's going to make it more difficult to do our job and more expensive and, w- and, and defeats the purpose of all the ideas of affordable or more affordable or less expensive housing. You know, we can't put the genie back in the bottle in Toronto or in any other city. It's a problem everywhere. Housing is expensive everywhere you want to live. You go down to Seattle, you go to Miami, everyone complains about the same problem. Not enough affordable housing. All we can do here is try to try to slow the growth of pricing, and that's a supply issue. We can't. You're not good. Laborers aren't going to take less money, and concrete's not getting more plentiful, and neither is steel. So, you know, all of these things are inflationary. But what we have to do is make it easier for us to build and try to stop the the, the ridiculous waste of money through fi- extra financing costs, you know, uh, the, the, the horrible process of getting buildings approved in Toronto could be chopped in a quarter 
and we'd save millions of dollars per project. And, all, and again, those prices get reflected with, a, with a, the margins always the same. It gets reflected with pricing that's better for consumers or not as inflationary as it is going to be going forward. Because we are going to be going to $2,000 a square foot in, and soon. Wow. Uh, Jack, why don't you uh, pipe in here? I haven't heard from you yet this uh, evening. Sure, absolutely. Uh, here in, uh, with the TSX, you know, like you said at the beginning of the show, Wolf, uh, oil, copper, nickel, they're on fire. Canadian real estate's on fire. Um, but really the, the net bar- or um, marginal buyer for the Canadian market, the stock market that is, we're actually seeing some foreign uh, flows coming into Canada for the first time in years. So uh, on the condo front, Brad, obviously things I would think slowed hmm. down with uh, COVID. But uh, are, are you seeing that foreign interest back in Canada? And I would think that the, uh, they'd also like the, um, the potential for a stronger Canadian dollar, um, you know, with the additional uh, commodity exposure that they may be getting with Canada right now. Yeah, I mean, the people that buy condominiums typically aren't, you know, looking at that. I mean, they might be looking at the exchange rate from where they're bringing money in from. But at the end of the day, the flow of money into Canada for the condominium market has never slowed down. There was a, a, a there was a period in 2017, I think it was 2017, where a premier win brought in some asinine uh, real estate <laughs> restrictions, and it, it, it hit the market badly. And lots of air 905 got crushed, where big drops in price, you couldn't sell a house out there. Condominium market got hurt a bit, but you know where we're at today is there's massive interest. Uh, from foreign buyers, interprovincial buyers, you know, we, we're able to sell a building uh, in a month. You know, we're able to sell 250 to 300 units in a month, move somewhere around, uh, you know, $200 million of real estate. Can't be done anywhere else in the world like that. It's, it's Toronto. And the reason for it is, is that uh, this city is the best city to invest in on, on on the globe. There's no better place to put your money in real estate than Toronto for a whole host of reasons. Um, and, and international investors see that. And and so we we have the most buoyant condominium market on the planet. Outside of state economies, like there, there's fake economies like parts of China that are state controlled that, you know, that's a different situation. But in free economies, there's no other real estate economy like Toronto in the world. Why is that, Brad? Well, um, we, we have um, a, a system of law and uh, a uh, so we have a system of law that, that protects people. We have, a, we, have, we have a population and a philosophy in this country that's more inclusionary than most places. It's easier to be a person of color in Canada than almost any other place in the world. Hmm. Um, it's easy, easier to be an immigrant here than it most, mostly anywhere else in the world. We hmm. pretty well accept everyone, I think. And that, that encourages a diaspora of people from other countries to come here and invest. Uh, and we get that. We get lots of Chinese, lots of people from Southeast Asia. And, and within a few years, they buy homes. And in a few years, they buy multiple homes. Um, they do what they can to prosper quickly. Uh, that's one thing. But, but also, you know, we have a city... It was an unpainted canvas, you know, uh, 30 years ago, and 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 the canvas is being painted, and and it's become a absolutely world class city, uh, and that's huge. But but we also have a very conservative banking system, which which really does, as irritating as it is, it really does hmm. protect people in this country from 
massive failure. I've had more funds from the U.S. come up and see me and ask me how they can, they can uh, you know, uh, bid against or short our real estate economy. I said, you can't. It's not possible in Canada. It's impossible to short our real estate economy in Canada. It's easy to do in the United States. You can't do it here. It's not possible. And so, Why would they want to short the Canadian market? Well, because, you know, because some guy with, with a, a large head, you know, in, in, uh, in a hedge fund says, you know, the stats on, on Toronto look like this is heading for a collapse. They've been wrong for 30 years yeah. because they don't understand our economy. So it's, it's these guys, these quants that look at a, a place and say, well, all the numbers show that this should be uh, a good short. And, for instance, that guy you know, from the movie The Big Short, I forget his name, he's been talking for years to short Canada. But there's no way to short it. And the reason why is there's no institution that you, that's so heavily invested in real estate on a publicly traded basis that you can harm. None of the banks are that invested. You know, there's, there, there's home capital, a few of these little little banks, but they, they, they tried to do that, and, and Warren Buffett came in and, and uh, brought some capital and made five or six times his money and disappeared. It's very difficult to do in Canada, and we have a, so we have a very good protection against this kind of thing for consumers and lenders. We also don't build anything unless it's pre-sold. So if I want to borrow $100 million, $200 million, I have to give enough sales to cover the cost budget within a few percentage points or I don't get the money. So we get sales with 15 or 20% down. We get banking letters showing they can qualify for a mortgage. And on that basis, we can borrow money. In the United States, they build buildings first and they sell them later. And that's far riskier than here. We don't do that. Fascinating stuff, Brad. Absolutely. Tell me, the um, in interest of time, what, what is the buzz, the energy in the uh, condo market uh, in the core of Toronto? Again, I have not been downtown in months. I continue to uh, uh, COVID retreat and work from home. But uh, sooner or later, we're going back downtown. I'm going to get my second shot, uh, I think, in a few weeks, Brad. So, uh, yeah, we are. <laughs> the reopening is going to happen here, too. But at present state, what is the energy? What's the interest in the condo market? Well, January to April, I would say it was uh, 15 out of 10. And I would say that it's now wow. probably 12 out of 10 in terms of resale condos. You put a condo up for sale, uh, more than likely it's going to get uh, 5 to 10 offers on it. More than likely it's going to sell at a record price. Oh, my. Um, and if you, if you launch a new building, it's, it's obviously more difficult at 1350 or 1400 a foot. And it's not a ton of local people. It's a lot of people from out of province and it's, and, and out of country, uh, some locals, of course, but they're, but they're typically the diaspora of new immigrants. That's who mostly is energizing the condominium market. So it's, it's, it's uh, you know, Southeast Asians, uh, Africans, Middle Eastern uh, folks, and Chinese, but, but it's not necessarily people uh, living in another country. They've moved here. And it's their children and their children buying uh, and relatives and family. They're buying uh, for the long term. Um, it's amazing. They, they've listened to all the great investors and they're buying for long term investing. They're not looking to buy and flip or sell. We don't get any of that in our projects. They want to buy, rent and hold. They put a lot of cash down and they earn a good return over, over time. They get a solid 20 percent a year over time on their real estate investment. And that's how you get rich, you know, slowly over time. 
Well, Jack and I are all about getting rich slow, Brad. It does work. You know, you buy quality assets uh, and, and hold them for the long haul. You don't pay taxes. You don't get whipsawed, but that's, you don't get whipsawed in and out. Uh, and a lot of, you know, Canadian investors, uh, older investors have had that experience with Canadian banks. Of course, uh, uh, the fortunate ones who have some Muskoka real estate in their portfolios, holding that for multiple decades uh, has proven to be a very, very fruitful approach. Uh, maybe it's the time to buy some Bitcoin and hold it uh, uh, in perpetuity. Um, Brad, since I mentioned the word Bitcoin, you're a very smart man. Uh, again, focus on real estate, but currency at the same time. Uh, do, do, do you have an opinion on uh, cryptocurrency? Yeah, I think people should get out of cryptocurrency. Every government in the world is going to create their own cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is going to go to zero. They're going to lose all their money, uh, and it's a terrible <laughs> idea. You, there's no way in the world that China and the United States and Europe, European Union is going to allow a third-party currency to exist. They won't allow it. They'll kill it. It's very easy. They just, they're going to do it in China. In China, Bitcoin's illegal. You can't use it now. They've got their own cryptocurrency. And every country is going to follow suit. And, and Bitcoin will be a thing of the past. It's, it's, anyone who thinks that there can be a private currency uh, in, the, in this modern world, I know that there was private currencies 100 years ago, but in this modern world, governments are more controlling than ever. They'll never allow it to prosper the way that people are betting on it prospering. So bet on a Canadian cryptocurrency, bet on an American cryptocurrency, government control. Interesting point. Uh, I don't know. I, I sort of do think the genie's out of the bottle on that one. Um, but uh, look, uh, the cryptocurrency and, and the uh, blockchain uh, are here to stay. They're in their infancy. Uh, as for which particular brand survives, anyone's guess. Uh, you know, Netscape. Bye-bye. Google. Hello. Uh, hello, Moto. It's, it's amazing, eh? You, you're the Sony Walkman, gone. Of course, the iPhone takes over. It's just, I love watching brands pass the baton, so to speak. But buy the best you can, my good friends. Hang on for the haul is what Brad's saying. Toronto is the best internationally. Uh, well, it makes us all feel a little better uh, living in this uh, beautiful town that we do live in. It's a changing city, but uh, change is the only constant. Brad Lamb, a uh, real pleasure to have you with us this evening. I wish you a safe weekend, and uh, we'll get caught up real soon, I'm certain. All right, guys. Thanks very much. More show, Hi-Fi Radio, Global News 640 Toronto, coming up right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back, my good friends. I was just getting the groove there. I love Bob Marley. Oh, I love Bob Marley. What a legend. Indeed. Good music, eh? Of course it is. Uh, Matt Bottomley, Managing Director. Uh, he's one of our analysts at Canaccord. Uh, has spent a lot of time in the last few years uh, on the cannabis sector. Uh, figure we'd do a, a little fast forward, get caught up on what's going on in the space of cannabis. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Matt. I really appreciate your time this evening. Um, you know, it, it's remarkable how things change. Uh, moods change, and, and boy, uh, Cannabis 1.0, uh, 
uh, had one incredible run uh, in Canada. Uh, and uh, of course, the Americans were looking at us like we were, uh, you know, villains. And uh, you know, so, so, so much political debate. Um, uh, and, and you know, from a regulatory point of view, from a, a global uh, the treaty point of view. But uh, you know, uh, demand and 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 the people spoke, and uh, the genie too has been let out of the bottle. Uh, it does seem that the Canadian market now is quite quiet uh, in terms of interest from investors in cannabis. Um, there was this to be this 2.0 launch when America got closer to legalization. So uh, let, let's focus on that to begin with, uh, Matt. Uh, what is the interest in cannabis uh, from an American point of view? Uh, and give us some of your favorite ideas. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I, I would say that that's been the trend now for a year or two where a lot of uh, investors, particularly on the institutional side, side are, are trying to roll up their sleeves and, and do their homework on what are typically called multi-state operators or MSOs. And, you know, you kind of have two different um, uh, macro tailwinds right now. You have the federal level in the U.S., where finally we're getting actual verbiage coming out of uh, Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, who's planning on putting reforms forward, uh, and then just the state-by-state -state level. And there's no shortage of it. We've had Arizona turn on this year, New Jersey later this year. New York State's expected to turn on. So, you know, there's a dozen, two dozen even really good companies in the U.S. that are, are really vying for market share there. So it's certainly overshadowing, I think, what was a, a very attractive story in Canada before many of these names came to market. Um, it's funny, I had a, I'm getting a renovation done on my home and uh, had a couple of tradespeople over who are now my age, <laughs> uh, in their mid-50s. And uh, they, they speak about a few friends of theirs whose backs ache and knees ache. And one fellow uh, proudly said, hey, uh, I'm about to retire and the union is going to give me a $2,000 a month cannabis budget uh, so I can buy as many gummy bears as I, as I need. Uh, and I got a $2,000 pension to dovetail. Uh, I'm good. I'm retiring. Um, I couldn't believe it. $2,000 from a union as part of a pension agreement uh, to, to help uh, the individual with his sore knees after working us for 30 years in the trade. Um, Pretty fascinating stuff. I, I scratched my head and said, gee whiz, uh, I wonder what Big Pharma thinks of this. Um, I also caught a piece on, on uh, social media that George Strombolopoulos was getting involved in cannabis in some fashion. Uh, I'm just throwing that out there, Matt, to see if you have heard anything on that front. Yeah, well, when it comes to the medical side of it, I mean, there really is kind of a, you know, a, a tale of two different, uh, and there's more than two, but uh, two different uses for it. And, and of course, there's the psychoactive um, recreational experience, which is really what drives a lot of the market um, excitement right now, because that's more CPG, um, you know, more traditional type retail, although it is in the U.S. still scheduled drugs. Uh, the medical side is just a longer pathway. We There's, you know, 100 different cannabinoids that, that are in the plant. We really just focus on THC and CBD. And your, your uh, friend or your colleague's uh, point there, uh, you know, pain relief is probably the biggest indication it's prescribed for. So I'm not surprised that trade unions like Layuna uh, are willing to do that. Um, there's certainly a demand for it. And, uh, yeah, the medical side uh, is certainly one that I think gets overlooked a little bit, considering all of the excitement over, um, you know, vapes and edibles and other things that are a little more recreational on that front. 
Um, let, let's pivot, uh, Matt. Uh, again, if you're just tuning in, Hi-Fi Radio, show about money. Jack Hartle, my partner, Wolfgang Klein. If you have any questions for us, by the way, WolfgangKlein.com or the TheWolfOnBayStreet.com. Jack and I will respond immediately. No question too big or small for us. We're here to help you have more money. Uh, we're talking about the space of cannabis uh, with Matt Bottom. He's a managing director and analyst with Canaccord. Uh, you're also um, uh, focused in studying the... Um, uh, Oh, what am I looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? Um, the alternative uh, uh, psychedelics mm-hmm. uh, as, as well, correct, uh, Matt? I'm talking about the mushrooms. I'm talking about LSD, uh, all the old uh, psycho uh, psychedelic drugs that uh, came through the 60s uh, from a, a post-traumatic stress uh, relief point of view to various types of anxiety, depression. Um, it, it, is that space gathering momentum? Is that going to be a real industry that uh, uh, will, 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 will sit beside the cannabis industry, do you believe? Well, I think on the medic, from a medical perspective, there's some debate there. And, and I think that there's a possibility that a lot of the clinical trials that are actually going on right now, there's about three or four public companies um, that are having it. There's a cannabis company as well um, that, that's starting to pivot into some research initiatives there. I don't think it's really going to be analogous to cannabis, though only because the recreational side of it is, is, is very limited, or at least in my view, um, people that consume psychedelics, there's a bit of a trend from my understanding that, you know, you can, you can have it, even if it is sort of for a recreational experience, have it for uh, on a Saturday night or, or, or what have you, and then not touch it again for a month. It, it's probably the least addictive of all the um, uh, sort of recreational drugs out there, even, even less so than, than, than cannabis, which really isn't addictive at all. So I don't think... Wait, so which drug is that you're talking about? It's psilocybin, so mushrooms or anything. Oh, mushrooms. Anything that gives you kind of the, um, it's more of a psychedelic. Um, you know, those types of drugs, typically people that use them do not use them in the frequency that someone would with alcohol or cannabis. So I don't think it will be analogous to what we're seeing in the cannabis sector, but from the health benefits, from a health and wellness, or maybe, you know, other things that are more nutraceutical, I think that it could absolutely uh, down the road be something that's a, a big part of psychiatry um, and, 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 and treatment, um, you know, depending on the, the findings from these studies. Um, fascinating discussion Saturday night. We're talking psychedelics. It's iFi Radio, Global News 640 in Toronto. Who would have thought? Uh, but hey, uh, if there's a buck in it, we got to talk about it. That's what this show is all about. Stay tuned. More show with Matt Bottomley, Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. There you go. Just trying to set the mood for us. Some psychedelic teen tangerine dream is the band. A little electronica there, a little trippy psychedelic music. As we speak about magic mushrooms, uh, we were, of course, talking about cannabis. Uh, we're going to pivot into the mushroom world. Uh, we're speaking with Matt Bottomley. He's an analyst with Canaccord Genuity. But before we talk mushrooms, Jack wants to pipe in with a very, very uh, important message to our investors out <laughs> there. Please, Jack. It's like a warning call that you send out there, Wolf. But yeah, it's important that we, we learn lessons from the past. In 2018, you know, the legalization of pot in Canada was a significant uh, event in Canada 
But for investors, Matt, maybe you could speak to the mania uh, that you saw, because it was a lot of retail really pushing uh, pushing this investment theme. Uh, not a whole lot of institutions at the time, but there was a whole lot of excitement. So maybe you could you know, walk us through what you saw in that time period. Well, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, I think, valuable lessons there. And when you look at what's happened with, you know, even cannabis 1.0 in Canada up to 2.0, I mean, the sector is starting to roll out. I think in Q4 of, of 2020 was the first quarter where, where legal sales in Canada uh, were estimated to be about the same as illicit sales. So we're starting to see that hmm. transition. We, we have retail revenues now in Canada running at about three $3.5 billion. Uh, so still a ways to go. We think it can get as high as 10. The issue here is... is the valuation proposition, right? So we had a lot of retail money go into the space. We had um, a lot of headlines coming out of even the U.S. Uh, industry, but U.S. investors don't have access for the most part in their self-directed accounts to some of the, the, the U.S. names that only trade in Canada. So all of that excitement kept just piling into Canadian listed names uh, that are also listed on, on the NASDAQ and, 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 and let's say NYSE. So because of that, we had at one point the aggregate market cap of Canadian companies was a premium to Royal Bank. So given the fact that we're nowhere close to being in a mature market and that the government has so much of uh, their fingers in the pie with respect to the economics, a lot of the institutions shy away from it from a valuation proposition. So that's always very important to line up, uh, even if the sector is rolling out well or even if the prospects are still still attractive. You have to kind of line up, is this a reasonable valuation on a multiple basis or a comparative basis to other industries? before you start piling in. And we saw, you know, a lot of these names get well ahead of themselves and, and they pulled back substantially over the last number of years. And at the time there, Matt, at the time, the the industry was, I guess, looking at new metrics of being able to, I guess, quantify or qualify uh, the valuations. And it was really based on funding ca- capacity when they were raising money. Is that t- still something that uh, the industry looks at? Um, and it is always, from my perspective anyways, it's an, always an alarm bell when, when industries come up with new ways to, to measure uh, their valuations or justify their valuations. So is that something that's still looked at as the industry? So new way to, f- to fund capacity is, uh, you know, uh, on a valuation or is it just funded over capacity at this point? Yeah, that's a good point. Your sort of last comment there. It, it's it's less and less um, useful. In fact, I'd say it's even useless now just for the fact that when the market was first rolling out, there was only, you know, six or seven public companies. Um, the access to capital and the ability to raise equity was not a slam dunk because institutions that even play in the space now were still kind of lining it up. So if producer A had twice as much capacity as producer B and there's not a lot of competition, you can argue and say that that producer might have more revenue or market share down the road. But we've seen in Canada now literally billions of the B uh, right off of infrastructure and some of the biggest facilities in the country are now running at 20% or less capacity. Um, so right now, your capacity is, is not really a function of value. It's, it's a necessary, uh, you know, cost of admission to get into the space if you're, if you're vertically integrated. Um, but really, there's a commoditization of the biomass itself. And the, and the real sort of valuation, it's not necessarily a metric, but consideration now is your ability to, to keep in, in good faith with a lot of these provincial buyers and have your product ordered and put into the shelves and into the dispensary here. Uh, because there's no shortage of, of sourcing product now uh, as we're into sort of the fourth or fourth year of legalization. Yeah, no, it actually yeah. catches up. Let, let, let's talk about the uh, the, the, the mushroom uh, industry. I, I am quite intrigued by it. Just as it's, it's an item out there on the long tail, uh, but nonetheless, uh, there, there may be some science behind it, may not be. Uh, do you know much about mushrooms? Because I, I do think that there are multiple species or, or strains, uh, as, as there are with cannabis and uh 
hence uh, the potential to do a lot of scientific uh, studies around it. Um, any, any kind of preliminary outcome from any work that you've seen that shows promise? Well, it's mainly anecdotal. This isn't a, a part of the sector I focus on, but, you know, it, it does come up in, in discussions that I have, just given that it's quasi in the same category as we mentioned before. Um, but you're right. A lot of the trials that are happening now and a lot of the stories out there, it's not about, um, you know, sourcing uh, fungus or fungi and uh, putting uh, a, a product out there that's going to give you hallucinations and a recreational experience. Yet, it's more almost like the CBD side of what we saw in cannabis, where it's not going to give you that psychoactive experience, but they're trying to do tests to see, does this help with addictive uh, uh, traits that you have, whether, you know, it's drugs, alcohol, et cetera. Uh, does it help for things like depression? Uh, can it help for things like PTSD? And really, um, there's a lot of money starting to go into the sector now that's funding these trials. And, and you know, as, as a, someone that hasn't covered biotech in some time now, um, you know, it's not something that I sort of keep my eye on uh, as, as closely as the cannabis sector. But I know the number of stories that sort of pop up on my radar uh, are starting to increase. And, you know, there's there's incremental capital and, you know, you know, five, 10, 15 million uh, here and there from a lot of these smaller cap companies that are looking to find that uh, more scientific evidence uh, and get something passed potentially down the road with the FDA and, and, and be disruptive in, uh, in, in sort of the pharmaceutical industry. So might be a longer term interest for big pharma, but, but certainly now there's a lot of these biotechy type names that are looking to get involved in the sector and, and be pioneers that see it will go anywhere. Fascinating. Um, Matt, the interest of time, but you're uh, one of our key analysts. Um, what's your best idea for investors right here, right now? I'm saying investors, for, for, for an individual who can take a small position in, a, in, in an idea and, and, and comfortably hold it for three to five years. Yeah, the way I like looking at it is I think that there's so many tailwinds out of the U.S. right now. And really, just given the fact that a lot of um, larger institutions, there's some back and forth about how much they can own. And we've seen hedge fund grosses reduced. Um, and as a result, some of their holdings in cannabis come down, given that speculative sector. So I think there's been a, a very attractive pullback in the U.S. market right now for U.S. operators. And given the fact that we have more and more states legalizing, given the fact that we think Schumer is going to or Chuck Schumer is going to say something in the coming weeks or, or, or months here. Uh, with respect to reforms in the U.S., I would I would play uh, play the space uh, on the U.S. side, and I would look for good operators on the U.S. that still haven't got that re-rating versus some of the big names that people talk about, like Pure Leaf and Truly. These are big names, still very good companies. But the two names that I think are close to being in that category and are probably at you know half the relative valuation would be number one uh, AYR Wellness uh, and number two uh, Columbia Care. Those are two multi-state operators. Uh, that have exposure to, you know, incredible markets like Florida, Pennsylvania, Arizona. You know, I could go on and on. Um, there's a mixed bag in terms of, you know, where they are in each market, but you get a broad enough exposure to almost the whole U.S. Uh, at about half the valuation of, of some of the quote-unquote leaders in the space. So those are two names uh, that I would particularly play on a, both on a re-rating to their peer group and then hopefully all votes will rise anyways given the federal legalization or I should say scheduling at the federal level in the U.S., which could happen maybe even potentially this year. Matt Bottomley, uh, analyst uh, with Canaccord Genuity, spending much of his time in the uh, cannabis patch uh, for the last few years. Uh, very helpful, uh, great insights uh, into your space. Appreciate your time. Jack Hartle, uh, portfolio manager, partner, uh, producer of the show. Great job today, as always. Uh, friends at home, I want to wish you a safe weekend. Uh, I want to wish you success. Good fortune. Please, if you have any questions, once again, you can reach out to Jack or I. Uh, our website, wolfgangkline.com. Uh, we're here for you. Uh, please. 
uh, feel free to uh, contact us. It's always a delight. Stay safe, my good friends, and we'll speak to you next Saturday right here on Global News 640 Toronto. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.